Good morning. The Lord be with you. Welcome to Bible study at St. Paul's here as we continue our study of the book of Acts. My name is Jeff Cloa. I teach New Testament at Concordia Seminary and a member here at St. Paul's. And it's uh, great to have you here with us again. And welcome to those of you who are uh, hoping to listen on the radio. And I'm hoping it works. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm going to start recording this just in case. Good. All right. The, uh, today we'll begin, uh, really continue at verse 7 of chapter 1 with the uh, uh, discussion with Jesus and the disciples before his ascension, uh, move on, on to, into the ascension, and then uh, hopefully at least uh, cover a bit uh, the listing of the disciples in verses 12 through 14. Uh, we're, we're actually just kind of a week off uh, for this because the ascension is, uh, what is it, a week from Thursday? Uh, so we're, uh, was 24th, is that it? 25th? So we are uh, observing this a little bit early, but now you know what to expect uh, when you come back for Ascension Day services, uh, 40 days after Easter. Um, for an opening uh, prayer, uh, there's only actually five Ascension hymns in the hymnal, uh, which is kind of a bummer, you know? I mean, I guess it's only one day, right? So you only get five hymns. Uh, but uh, a lot of really good uh, material in the hymns. This, uh, this hymn, 494, See the Lord Ascends in Triumph, the last stanza, I think, really captures, uh, well, part of what I want to focus on today, and that is the, the bodily ascension of Jesus and his bodily return and what that means for us. So let, let's bow our heads. He has raised our human nature on the clouds, God's right hand. There we sit in heavenly places. There with him in glory stand. Jesus reigns, adored by angels, Man with God is on the throne. By our mighty Lord's ascension, we by faith behold our own. Amen. All right. So, uh, we, uh, we left off last time kind of trying to get through uh, verse 8, which we didn't uh, succeed in doing, of course. Uh, we left off with uh, the disciples asking this question about, is Jesus now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And as we discussed, it's actually a pretty good question, right? Uh, the disciples had been learning about the kingdom, uh, as we saw earlier in, in, the, in the chapter, and uh, everything seemed to be pointing to this restoration. Uh, but Jesus' response is one of uh, not yet, like it often is. So in, uh, in verse 7, he says to them, It is not yours to know the times or the seasons which the Father has placed or set uh, by his own authority. So, you know, notice again, the answer is not, uh, no, there's not going to be a kingdom. Uh, no, Israel is wrong. You know, scratch that off. Uh, uh, you know, you're out in left field or something like that. His answer is, it's not your issue. It's God's issue. Uh, you got other things to do. So, uh, 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 they're, they're told to, to wait and that this kingdom would unfold in God's times and in God's ways, but that they yet have a part to play in it, right? So they can't know, and, and we've seen this in the Gospels as well when Jesus talks about the last day, they can't know the days, uh, times, or seasons. You know, when is it going to be? We don't know. Uh, although every generation thinks theirs is the last. And I think ours could get some votes, you know, pretty, pretty high on the scale uh, as to when Jesus is going to come back. Um, but 
they, they will know something, verse 8, or they will receive something, right? Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be, uh, and I'm going to translate this, witnesses of me uh, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and up to the end of the earth, okay? So they're not going to know when it's going to happen, and it's certainly not going to be immediate, but they will receive power, and they will be witnesses. Uh, uh, they will, will, will testify to what they have seen. Now, as we talked about, that little outline of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth is a bit of an outline for, for the book of Acts, and we don't need to go into the details here, but certainly they start in Jerusalem in chapter 1, uh, Pentecost happens in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem for the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, uh, and then they, they head out to Judea and Samaria. And eventually, well, in chapter 28, of course, they get to Rome. And the question is, is, you know, is this really kind of an outline of the book? Is that all Jesus is doing, is saying, all right, we're going we're gonna to follow you guys in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and then kind of expand it out a little bit? And is it merely just kind of a, a book outline? Or is there something more going on here? What does he mean by ends of the earth? I want to show you a, a map, of, uh, which is a copy of a first century map of the Roman Empire. Right? Uh, when somebody says the ends, when ends of the earth in the first century, what do they mean? And, uh, well, what do you think? Do you think most people would consider the city of Rome the ends of the earth in the first century? Yeah, probably not. It's, it's, it's probably the center of the universe, right? Uh, it's sort of like saying, you know, New York City is the ends of the earth, right? Or Los Angeles is the ends of, well, maybe Los Angeles, but, but uh, you know, is it the ends? Well, here's this map. It's called the, the Tabula uh, Poitingeriana. You could Google it. It's actually, there's several really cool sites that show you this map and... Uh, uh, I'll show you a little bit of it. Here's, here's the city of Rome in that map. And, uh, uh, of course, you got the guy holding the, the diadem. He's ruling uh, the scepter, all that kind of stuff. Here's the port city of Ostia down at the bottom. And you notice all these lines that are uh, flowing out from Rome. It works. The Appian Way, the Latina Way, uh, the Laurentian Way. These are all the roads that lead into Rome. So you know the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? Well, it's because that's what their maps look like, because every road does lead to Rome. You can get anywhere from Rome. Once you get to Rome, you can, it's, like, it's like the hub airport, right? You can't, from St. Louis, you can't go anywhere unless you go to Chicago or Dallas, right? <laughs> so, uh, uh, or Charlotte sometimes, but... But, you know, Rome is where you go to get anywhere. So let me, let me just show you. It's a, it's a big, long scroll. I, I'm sorry you can't see this on the radio, but uh, too bad. All right. So here's the, there's a website that uh, gives the entire map. There's a scroll. Here's Rome right in the center. And they've laid out the whole Mediterranean in this big, long, you know, strip. So there's not a lot of water because they don't care what's on the water. It's not to scale. What they're showing is the road system. So... So there's the map, actually, if you want to see how long it is. And, and here's Rome in the center, right? You can scroll along, if I do this right, there we go. Here we're going east, going up uh, Italy, 
There's the uh, Apennine Mountains. You see there, it looks like a wall, but it's the mountains. Here's all the cities and the roads. Here's the Alps up here. Now we're heading over into France. And it, it, again, it's not really to scale, but it's just showing the maps. Now we're getting to Brittany, Spain, and then they're missing the last part. Here's London up here, right? So the end of the earth to the east is Gibraltar, because there's nothing after that. If we want to go the other way, and you could, you, you, it's cool, you can Google this and look online. You could actually plot a map. You know, you could do like Google map uh, routes uh, using this map and seeing how you do a journey. Uh, but just to show you, here's, here's Italy again. We're kind of, it's sideways, but we're going south. Here's uh, Sicily. There's the boot of Italy. Um, now here's, we pointed this out earlier. Here's, uh, uh, yeah, here's, uh, doo -doo -doo. yeah, here's the road for Greece. So here's Athens over here. Here's Corinth. Uh, Philippi is over here, right here. Amphipolis, we looked at this map when we did Philippians. So again, you want to go, Philippi is kind of on the main road. It's the one you take all the way across to get your boat across to Italy. And then uh, keep on going. Here's the road up to Constantinople, which was Constantinople in the first century, but, but they did the name. Now you keep going, and here's Asia Minor. You can track Paul's journeys. There's Galatia, as you can see up there in the north. Uh, here's all the cities. There's Ephesus. There's Smyrna. All the books are names familiar from the New Testament. Here's Egypt and uh, the Nile Delta. You know, again, so that's not to scale, but you can see how they're laying out the roads. Now you keep going. Here's, here's uh, Rhodes. Here's Cyprus. All right. Big city here, which you think, ah, oh, finally we get to Jerusalem, right? Nope, that's Antioch. That's the capital of the east. Uh, and then we keep going. Mesopotamia. We get to India. Keep going, and we get to who knows what that is, because all the names are made up. But they know there's some kind of end on the other side. But if you want to find Jerusalem, you've got to scroll back here, and you could find the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, and up here is Jerusalem, which in the first century was not called Jerusalem, as you recall, but was is on this map anyway. It's uh, uh, Heliopolis. It had several names, but it, was, it had a Greek name at this point. Now, again, why, why show this, right? In Jerusalem, you are not in the center of the world, right? In Jerusalem, you are on the fringes of the Roman Empire. And uh, uh, <laughs> when Jesus says you're going to go to the ends of the earth, in many ways, that's where they're starting, right? Um, but as you chronicle through the book of Acts, you end up in Rome, which does, in fact, get you to the hub, which then allows you to go out to the ends of the earth. Right. Now, why is that significant? I think Dr. Oshawald talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Why is that significant? What it means is that the book is not, in a sense, completed. It's the story of the gospel uh, is not completed when you get to the end of the book. When you get to Rome, uh, that means that the gospel can indeed go to the ends of the earth. You can get to Spain. You can get to Britannia. Uh, you can get to regions yet unknown. Uh, indeed, you can get eventually, you know, 1,500 years later to North America, right? Which isn't even on the map in the first century, right? Uh, 
So the, the, the book ending in Rome is not, uh, uh, you know, the destination is complete, the book is finished, the work of the church is completed, we're all done now. Uh, rather, it's the jumping off point for the gospel to continue to be spread by those who are witnesses of what Jesus has said and done. Right? In some ways, it's not unlike what you have with the gospel of Mark that ends in a bit of an open ending, right? And, and requires some, you know, piecing together what this means at the end of the book. Well, same thing with the book of Acts. It ends with Paul hanging in the balance, right? Uh, we're waiting to see if he's going to get this trial before the emperor, which we don't know if he does. Uh, uh, does the gospel story end there? We don't know. But again, we know, and Luke's audience certainly knew, Theophilus, the person he's writing for, certainly knew that the story continued after Paul that the gospel continue to go out, and that the Spirit is continuing to work through the Word in the church, uh, even to the present day. Right. So, uh, thankfully, right, it's not the end of the book. <laughs> and, and Jesus uh, 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 promised, really, you will be my witnesses, is promised language. Uh, Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, is a promise that has come down to us. Right? That we have been included in this promise that the gospel is even for the, I don't know, Germans, right? So, <laughs> for, the, for the nations. I got some uh, Slavic in me, so it's good for me too, right? So I, I ended with, so there, uh, Rome again. Uh, I ended with this last week, but it's worth repeating. Uh, Jesus sets the stage here with this, with this uh, in a sense, commission in verse 8. Uh, is a quote from Ernst Hankin again, that the Christian church, as described in the book of Acts, is a mission church. Mission meaning they are sent. And they are sent uh, with specific power from the Holy Spirit, and they are sent to do specific things, that is, testify about Jesus. So whenever the apostles show up somewhere, uh, their mission is to talk about Jesus. Right? I mean, it's mission in a very... Uh, uh, specific sense. Uh, uh, mission, actually, just to make sure we're, we're clear, is, is from the verb mito, uh, which means to send. Right. So somebody on a mission is, is somebody who is sent. Uh, and that's certainly what the book of, uh, what the church is in the book of Acts. They are a sent group of people. And it starts here in verse 8. And again, uh, this quote from Hankin, Acts 1.8, is not simply a, table, a simple table of contents, uh, Jerusalem out to the end of the earth. Uh, rather, it's a promise, right? And and again, it's uh, uh, in the in the narrative. Let's let's just kind of talk about the disciples for a second. Uh, up to Luke 24, they hadn't been doing very well, right? Up to the resurrection, they hadn't been doing very well. Even after the announcement that Jesus, uh, you know, the tomb was empty and Jesus had ris risen, they weren't doing very well until finally Jesus sat them down. All right, let's, let's do this eat, eat the fish thing. Let's open your minds to understand the scriptures. He spends, Luke tells us, 40 days uh, helping them understand the kingdom of God. Um, uh, but they haven't yet given any good, solid evidence that this is going to work. <laughs> right? Uh, they haven't been able to accomplish anything up to this point. Uh, yet Jesus promises right at the beginning that they will do this that this work will continue, uh, and that the mission will succeed because of who he is, 
right? Not because of who they are. Uh, so this promise here in these uh, uh, first couple of verses of the book. Right? Any observations on that or comments? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, just kind of a trivial point, but you mentioned uh, witnesses of me mm-hmm. or my witnesses. Yeah. Is that construction lead you anywhere there that happens to the move fronted, yeah, as, as a prior uh, emphasis. Yeah. Handily, the next slide. So the question, I'll repeat the, the, the question here. But ask the position of the mu relative to uh, 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 Martyrus here. Uh, and is that significant? I think it is. You will be my witnesses, my witnesses, right? Um, witnesses of me. When you go through the book of Acts, what does that look like? Well, it's actually pretty specific. I'll just pull an early one and a late one. In 122, when they're looking for the disciple or the apostle to replace Judas, it had to be someone who was with them beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So it's not just that Jesus says, oh, now you're a witness, go have fun. Right? It's somebody who actually saw this stuff. Right? So what are they witnessing to? They're witnessing to the stuff that they had seen from the beginning up to the resurrection. Right? The first sermon in the book of Acts is about what they had seen. Right? This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised. Right? Uh, 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 Peter talking to Cornelius describes what they have seen. Right? So it's witnesses, uh, uh, not merely in a sense of, you know, hey, you know, you're a volunteer, now you get to be a witness, but they had actually seen Jesus, right? seen his work, and now will testify to it. Same thing at the end when Paul is, um, oh, sorry, this is before, uh, is that 26 or 28? It is 26, okay. I mean, I'm, I don't know if I have a typo or not, but... Uh, and this is Paul speaking, but God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify, same as the uh, noun martyrs there, to small and great like, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Right? So he's testifying right, to what God has done. He's a witness uh, to what God has done. So all the apostles are doing is simply describing what they had seen. Here's what we saw. Here's what we saw. Here's what we saw. Yeah. yeah, if you look at this kind of in a courtroom setting, you've got witnesses for the prosecution and witnesses for the defense. Well, they are going to be Jesus' witnesses. Yeah. You know, they're going to stand and testify yeah. as to who Jesus as is. As to who Jesus is, what he has done, what they have seen, what they have heard. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it, uh, uh, I mean, it's an interesting theme, right? And, and so, you know, our work today, to what do we witness? What do we testify to, right? And, and there's, you know, certainly it's, well, I'll, I'll let you answer, I guess. What do we testify to? Because we weren't there, right, when they crucified our Lord, <laughs> right? What do we testify to? Okay, the promise. Good. The scripture itself. Scripture itself. So what we have here is the te- testimony of the witnesses, which has been handed down to us, right? 
So Paul says again and again, I receive from the Lord what I passed on to you. Right? So we pass on what we have received. And what we are passing on is what those who have gone before us have seen. Right? We don't add to the story. We don't change the story. We don't you know, take out the things we don't like. We testify to what we have seen and heard through those who saw and heard Christ. Right? Um, uh, that's the work of the church. Right? So, you know, preach Christ crucified. That's, that's our work. Yeah. Question. Is it yeah. accurate to say we testify to what we have seen? Yeah. Meaning, I see the body of Christ working together. Good. I see the word of God. I Good. would never say that it's the same level as they did. Sure. Okay so, yeah. So it, when we uh, talk with people who don't know Jesus and, you know, as Peter says, give an answer for the uh, hope that is within you, right, we can certainly testify to what we have seen and heard, uh, how the gospel has come to us, uh, how God has worked in our lives to create us in faith, sustain us in faith in, in challenging times. Uh, uh, so it's a, it's a, a testifying to what God has done among us, uh, which is grounded on uh, the testimony of what God has done in Christ, right? And, and I think it's important to keep those two together, right? Um, uh, you know, it, it, it can become very easy to make a testimony something about me and, and my stuff. Uh, and if it's not firmly rooted in Christ, it's, it's a testimony to, well, who knows what, right? It's always Christ and his work and what he's done for us. Yeah, Mark. As you know, Luke basically reserves the language of witness for the apostles. There's only right. two possible exceptions, which are not really exceptions. Stephen, All right. who sees Who gets to see, Lord, yeah. And, and Paul, who also sees, who sees the Lord. Lord. Well, but that's the point. They see the Lord. Yeah. And right. He, so about us, he uses them, uh, or those we haven't seen, they see Yes, good. Word. Speak the word. Yeah, yeah. we touched on that. They received and passed on. Receive and pass on. Right. right. Uh, Harker backs to John. Oh, so I seen and testify. No. What's that? Oh, um, yeah, John is doing uh, the, the word in John there. Um, he, he testifies. I think that's slightly different. I think that's slightly, he's doing a little different theme there, uh, where, where the Son, the Word, is revealing the Father, um, rather than here revealing Jesus or making Jesus known. All right. But it's always grounded in that Word. It's always grounded in the Word. All right. Um, good. And, and just a note here, too, at the end of this little statement from Paul, uh, the Messiah would suffer as the first to rise from the dead. Notice the way the, the subject of the verbs are here. That the Messiah would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. You see, you see the way that's phrased? It doesn't say the Messiah would, uh, again, this is 26-23, the Messiah would uh, suffer and rise from the dead, and then he would send other people to do it, or other people would do that. The subject of the verb is Jesus. The Messiah would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Right? So he's the one doing the work. He's the one being testified to. Now, how does he do that? It's going to happen through the Holy Spirit, who's going to come in the next chapter. Uh, but it's just a, a, these little uh, reminders that it's always God, uh, Christ, the Spirit, who is running the show in the book of Acts. 
uh, the disciples are just kind of, uh, as we've seen you know, in the last few weeks, they're just kind of, uh, uh, I don't want to say quite observers, but they're, they're more passive than active in the book of Acts. Uh, they're the ones doing the action, but it's God working through them uh, that moves the story forward. All right, good. Anything else on, uh, on witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth? So the, uh, the ascension, uh, verses 9, 10, 11. Again, a, a short little section, uh, but, but there's a lot uh, we can spin out of this. So verse 9. Uh, and after saying these things, uh, while they were watching, he was taken up, pretty simple, just he was taken up, and a cloud hid him from their eyes. And as they were gazing into the sky while he was going, and behold, two men stood near to them in white clothes. And they said, and this is an interesting phrase, men Galileans. It's a common Lucan phrase. Uh, your translation probably just says Galileans. Uh, but it says Andres Galileoi, so dudes, right? I, I don't know, whatever. But uh, it's just the Lucanism. Um, you know, you Galilean dudes or something. I don't know what it is. Uh, uh, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who was taken from you into the sky, in this way he will come. Uh, which manner you saw him go into the sky? It's kind of a, uh, a strange way to phrase that. But the point is, again, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who is taken from you into the sky, in the same way he will come as you saw him go into the sky. Let's just say it that way. All right. Now, that's, that's pretty much it, right? Uh, just a description of the action uh, without a lot of theological, you know, gravity thrown at it. No interpretation of the event, no you know, significance given to it. Uh, we've got these uh, messengers, these uh, men in white, which is the typical uh, way that the angels are described in the Gospels. Uh, and they give an interpretation, right? They say, okay, Jesus went and you can't see him anymore because, and notice the physicality of this, he's taken up and they can see him and then a cloud comes and they can't see him. Right, uh, and then they come and say, "All right, uh, you're done here now. Um, uh, don't stand here anymore." Okay, remember what he said in verse eight. Uh, but he's going to come back again, and he's going to come back in the same manner. Right, that is, uh, he's got a body. He goes up. You can't see him. You see him. He's got a body. He's back. Right. Notice that. Notice that sequence. So let's just kind of walk through this a little bit. Uh, we saw this in Luke 24 with the uh, resurrection blurring into the ascension pretty quickly in Luke. Um, you know, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Luke 24, 26. Well, that phrase glory is a pretty interesting one because it, it can encompass both the resurrection and the ascension. And, and oftentimes in the New Testament, it's, it's kind of difficult those are sort of uh, described almost in the same way, that the uh, resurrection ascension is a, is a very closely connected event, um, uh, almost a, a, a continuous thing rather than a here's one thing, here's another thing. It's kind of conceived that way. Uh, in Luke, you do have the description again, he vanished from their sight. He stood among them. Uh, uh, 
2439, touch me and see. So 2431 is where he's with the Emmaus disciples, where he breaks the bread, he disappears from their sight. So something not normal, and that's not the ascension, right? Uh, in the ascension, he's carried up bodily. There he just sort of disappears. Uh, in 2436, he sort of just appears among them. doesn't say that he walked into the room. He sort of appeared. Uh, 2439, though, he has a body. Touch me and see. His spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. We looked at this a few weeks ago. They gave him the piece of fish. He took it and ate it before them in 42 and 43. And in 2451, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Right. So he had some pretty, pretty basic themes. Uh, but uh, uh, again, what Luke is describing in a pretty, you know, I, I don't know, uh, I don't know, obvious, but, but sim simple way, right, that Jesus is, for all appearances anyway, uh, a glorified, resurrected being, but he's, he's a guy, right? He's walking around with the disciples. He's talking with them. He's breaking bread with them. He's eating with them. And when it comes time for his departure, his glorification, he doesn't stop being that, right? He doesn't do the Star Trek. Is that Star Trek, right, where they walk into the thing and they... They vaporize? Or is that Star Wars? I don't know. Can't, can't get these straight. It's Star Trek, right? Beam me up. Is that Star Trek? Right? That's not what it is. He doesn't just sort of vanish. Uh, he's, he's carried up. Right? And, uh, uh, you know, it raises all kinds of interesting questions like, well, where is he now? And what's he doing? And what does it mean that he's up there somewhere with a body? and God at the same time, right? What does that all look like? Well, let's, let's take a little walk through some New Testament passages to see how they describe this. What the New Testament tends to focus on uh, outside of the book of Acts and Luke is more on the result of Jesus' ascension, uh, sort of what he's doing while he's there, than on the event itself, right? Yeah. Good. Well, okay, yeah, so I'm, I, I'm cheating on you there. So, uranos uh, could mean either sky or heaven. Um, I, I tend to prefer the translation sky. Uh, heaven is kind of loaded in, in some ways and, uh, uh, you know, carried up into heaven. What is that, right? Where is that? Is it, is it sort of behind the moon or something, you know? Um, carried up into the sky and no longer visible. Um, uh, yeah, I, I prefer the translation sky because it doesn't, it can be translated both ways, you know, it depends, uh, but um, uh, I think sky is sort of a more accurate way to say it. So it's the same word, uranos. Um, uh, just like, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, it's really the sky and the earth and it's sort of the stuff you see, right? Um, is that a fair... Fair take, Mark. Uranus is sky. Yeah. Uranio, I mean, you got heavenly places, but that's again, I think, somewhat metaphorical. I and mean, one of the challenges is, of course, how do you, how do we locate God? Uh, where do we put him? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, when he's not, he's not us, right? It's one of the challenges. So heaven becomes a bit of a circulocution for where God is. Um, let, me, let me walk through this, and maybe I'll clarify that. I, I just like sky better. 
So we, we saw this in Philippians 2, where again, this, this focus on the result of the ascension. Uh, so he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, uh, the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and uh, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So again, it's highly exalted. Is that the resurrection? Is that the ascension? Is it it's kind of the whole ball of wax, right? He died on a cross, and then great stuff happened, uh, and he's highly exalted. Um, 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, this is just a, a kind of an uh, introduction to the letter. He's praising the Thessalonians, uh, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Now, that's the ESV. You could say his son from the sky, but his son from heaven, uh, whom he raised from the dead. So notice again that connection between Jesus' ascended and raised from the dead. Uh, you also see a lot of this right hand of the Father language. So Romans 8, Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is, present tense, at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now this is a, it's a pretty important passage here, right? He died, past time. He was raised, past time. But where is he now, present time, at the right hand of God? And what is he doing? He is interceding for us. Right? So he, he didn't just sort of, you know, go to Cancun and hang out for a little bit or, you know, wherever, some, some place that, you know, I don't know, maybe you've been to Cancun, I've never been there, but, but uh, you know, some faraway place that, uh, Nome, Alaska, there you go. He doesn't go to Nome, uh, we sent a candidate up there, never mind. Um, he doesn't go to some faraway place you can never go. He's... Uh, He's at the right hand. We know where he is. And he's doing something. Right? He's not just hanging out waiting. He is active uh, in his work at the right hand of God. Uh, Hebrews 12 picks up on this. Actually, Hebrews has a few times it picks up on this. Uh, Jesus uh, is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated, present tense, at the right hand of the throne of God. So notice again how quickly it moves from uh, endured the cross to the hand of God, right hand of God. Just boom, 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 right? Or uh, uh, 1 Peter 1, you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead, it is God who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory. It's that glory theme again. So right hand, he's at the, the top spot, right? But again, it's not, it's not that he is absent that he still has a presence, has work uh, in his ascension. So Hebrews 1, uh, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So notice again, he made purification for sins, and then he sat down at the right hand, right? Boom, boom. And what is he doing? He upholds the universe by the word of his power, right? Uh, it's a pretty big job, right? Upholds the universe by the word of his power, right? So who's actually running the show? Right? <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that. Or Ephesians 4. 
and this is a little bit of a digression here in Ephesians, which has a few digressions here and there, but uh, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So, again, he descended to earth, he ascended, and notice this, and this is why I think it's more helpful to not just sort of limit it. He's, here, here he's above all the heavens. He's above all the skies, right? And what is he doing there? He's filling all things, right? He's, he's bigger than uh, anything uh, because he's at the right hand of power. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Good. So that's a whole other section that we won't talk into, but, but uh, uh, Ephesians and uh, Peter talks about this as well, the descent to proclaim his victory, uh, which is in the creed, the descent into hell, right? Uh, which, again, because it's, it's at his resurrection, is part of his glorification. That he's not going, you know, the descent into hell is not, he's going down there to suffer a little bit more or something but to announce his victory uh, over all things uh, and, then, and then manifest that at the right hand of God. So in, Ephesians, or in, in Philippians 2 even, you have uh, uh, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord uh, on the earth, under the earth, above the earth, right? Everyone knows that Jesus has won, right? Uh, so yes, so in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell is a, is a victory parade, right? Uh, proclaiming a release is another way the New Testament talks about that. Yeah. Uh, but again, this, this glorification uh, to reign over all things. Um, Hebrews 8 again, we have such a high priest, uh, one who is uh, seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. Right? And what does a priest do? Right? He intercedes on our behalf. Right? Prays on our behalf. Uh, mediates on our behalf. So he's still active. Uh, and not that this is on the same level, but we might as well quote the Augsburg Confession. <laughs> uh, as a summary here, uh, where they're just kind of going through basic, uh, basic teachings. Uh, there, he forever reigns and has dominion over all creatures. He sanctifies those who believe in him by sending the Holy Spirit into their hearts to rule, comfort, and make them alive. He defends him by sending the whole... Oh, sorry, I said that. Sanctify. He defends him. I say, ah, I got a typo there. He defends him against uh, the devil and the power of sin. I must have did a double cut and paste there. Uh, so let me try that again. He sanctifies those who believe in him by sending his Holy Spirit into the hearts to rule, comfort, and make them alive. Uh, he defends them against the devil and the power of sin. There we go. All right. Never happens in the manuscripts, right? It happens in PowerPoint, too. So it's a good summary, right? What does he do? He reigns in heaven. He's in glory. He's at the right hand. Uh, he is the one uh, who is reigning over all creation by the power of his word. He fills all things. And because he is in that situation, he can act on our behalf. Right? He can hear our prayers. Uh, he can send his Holy Spirit to rule, comfort, make us alive. Uh, defend against the devil and the power of sin, right? Uh, so his work is not, Jesus' work is not completed after his resurrection and ascension. 
uh, it's really, in some ways, well, he's given more work to do, right? Because <laughs> when he's walking around on earth, he just had to deal with 12 disciples and whoever he happened to run into that day. Right? At the right hand of God, he's got that whole big map, <laughs> plus all the parts that weren't on the map yet that he's responsible for. Right? Reigning over and, and uh, 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 upholding uh, by the power of his word. Uh, so, what's striking about this to me, at least what struck me here working through this again, is the, uh, the physicality of the ascension. And, and that Jesus doesn't uh, ascend into some kind of a uh, mist, but he ascends as Jesus, the guy who rose from the dead. Right? That's how he ascends, that's how he now reigns, and that's how he will come again as a guy who died and rose from the dead and then was taken away. Uh, did a little poking around the internet to find some images. You know, how do you depict the ascension, or, or sorry, the rain at the right hand? I just grabbed this one. This is a, 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 a basilica in, uh, where is it, Ravenna, Italy, which is apparently very beautiful, as you can tell. Uh, but here you have Jesus uh, in the center with a, with a brown robe, interestingly, but he's got the 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 super big corona crown and notice it's got a cross shape to it so that's how you know who it is uh he's got the crown here here's uh, uh saint vitale which i'm not sure what he did but that's who the chapel's named after and you got another saint over here and then you got a couple of angels but you notice in that depiction how jesus is is kind of almost even more physical than the other guys right i mean it's he's not some you know, apparition floating around somewhere. He's a guy with a body. Did you guys see this when you were there, Kevin, Ravenna? No, you get up there. Um, uh, anybody seen this? Never been there. Uh, uh, he's, he's there, right? And notice what he's sitting on. He's sitting on the world. Because <laughs> he's bigger than the world, right? It's, it's like his, his footstool is, is the New Testament language. Is it architecture and such? I've never been there, but I've seen some writings. So. Yeah, it's definitely a Byzantine style, you know, Romanesque style. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's fifth, sixth century, something like that. Uh, but uh, uh, again, this, this, uh, the person of Jesus reigning uh, as the Son of God, uh, uh, even now in heaven. All right. Now. How does this pick up in the catechism? Just to, to review this, uh, uh, of course, we're familiar with the explanation. Uh, second article of the Creed. Um, Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. Right? Lord is the guy who reigns. Right? So that's a, uh, the confession there. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, death, and the power of the devil. Not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood, his innocent suffering and death. Why? That I may be his own, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, uh, just as he is risen from the dead, finally lives and reigns to all eternity. And catch that last part. Lives and reigns to all eternity. That's the ascension uh, that Luther is talking about there. 
So how can we serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness? It's both because of what he did for us by his death and resurrection, but also what he is doing for us in his reigning in creation now, interceding for us, uh, protecting us, right? Uh, 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 it's not just a past activity, it's a present activity of Jesus' reign now uh, to guide and care for his church and for his people. Right? Uh, uh, his work is still continuing. Uh, and it's, I think it's an interesting thing to think about. I think we often, you know, we sort of, I don't know, just reflecting a little bit. Let me ask, any thoughts on that? I mean, what... And a couple questions, I guess. How does Jesus reigning at the right hand of God shape our view of ourselves? Right, what is that, how does that shape how we look at ourselves? If Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God, what does that do to how we think about the world if Jesus is at the right hand of God? Right. But, well, I was just going to say you can really sort of uh, launch off into philosophy on the idea of of what is the reality, the physical reality of Jesus Christ versus our physical reality, right. because we can't see him up there. But uh, I know uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a whole book on on the great yeah. divorce. Great divorce, he right? Pictured the things of heaven as being more real than our reality, right? And that uh, it enabled Jesus to walk. You know, nothing physical contained him here. Uh, but uh, as we are contained, right? But still, he ate, and, and you know, he was a re and is a. Re I guess in the ascension, like you say, he didn't just vanish. He, in his physicality, arose and was mm -hmm. hidden from them. And uh, uh, we we are not real enough to see everything that's real. Oh, there you go. That that's the nice way to say it. We are not real enough yet. Yes. To see everything that's real. Yes. Right. Uh, well, right, uh, we see through, uh, as in a mirror only darkly, right? Uh, we see, but we don't see everything, right? Uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, right, uh, flesh and blood cannot inherit <coughs> eternal life, right? So something has to happen, right? We become transformed uh, at the last day, either in the blink of an eye if we're still alive or when we're raised uh, from the dead, depending on when Jesus comes back. Right. So, yeah, there's, there's, we're not there yet, uh, but the promise is we will be uh, because of his work, both in the past and in the present, uh, to keep and sustain us. Right? So, so, yeah, uh, finally in Revelation 21, right, when the new Jerusalem comes down, and then we'll see. Right? We'll be able to see God face to face. Right? So we're not capable, in a sense, of seeing him right now uh, until that, that new life is given. Yeah, Mark? Just a little thought on Jesus at the right hand of God. Um, reformed Christians especially yeah. understand this extremely literally. Right. So you ask them, where is Jesus? It's at God's right hand. Pause for a moment. Does God the Father really have a right hand? A right hand. Yeah, right. <laughs> feathers or other things like this. Right, right. So for that reason, he can't be... But reformed, he can't be present, present in the, in the Lord's Supper, right? But the, the scriptures are using a picture, and it's important. It's an important picture. Uh, mm. I, I don't know how else we would understand it. That right. he rules with God's own power over all things. That's what the Ephesians forecast. Right. It's very 
helpful yeah. for us because it says he, yeah, we'll put it back there, that he fills all things. So we should. Yeah, yeah he's not limited. Yes, exactly. Right. When you go when you go to the right hand of God, it's what you, you become bigger. Yes. <laughs> right. Not smaller. Yeah, right. Not smaller. Right. It's 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 expansion. It's like those uh those little you know capsules you get from the comic books and you, you put it in the water and it becomes this big toy, right? That's not a good image. I don't know why I thought of that. But <laughs> but uh, you know he he ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. You know, so that again that mosaic, he's he's sitting on the world because he's bigger yeah and so yeah this this whole issue is during the reformation right that this really got fought and could jesus be really present in the lord's supper if he's you know stuck in a you know is that uh, aladdin itty bitty living space right you know or you get stuck at the right hand but you're you're confined in a lamp or something uh that's not what it is at all right he's all powerful and he's over all things all the time right uh uh so they're, they're wrong on the Lord's Supper. Right? <laughs> but, he, but he can be present because he is present. Right? Now, in a unique way that we can't yet comprehend. Uh, but, but yes, he's more, uh, more present than he was when he walked the earth. Yeah. I know we use the phrase, someone's right-hand man is the seat of power. Yeah. Was it not understood at this time also that, that the right-hand of God was the seat of power? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's an Old Testament theme, absolutely. That usually comes out in a lot of our Bible studies right here, so that is not. But also another. Wait, what's what's the issue about? That the right is not it is not limited to a direction. Oh, right. It is the seat of power. It is the seat of power, right? Right. It's a metaphor. But then in the phrase "reign," reign and rule, the kingdom of God is the reign and rule. Yeah. What is the difference between those two? I mean, I see rule. There's an element of judgment in the word rule, but what's yeah. We need to say both those for some reason, and I don't know why. I, I think just to make sure we say it's really big. I, really I, I, they really, yeah. I mean, it's just say, right, if you rule, you reign, you reign, reign and rule, reign, rule, I don't know. I mean, a reign can be just a time, I don't know. It's, okay. He's got it all. Right, pick, pick a word, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if there is a difference. Is rule, reign, reign and rule. Reign is good, I don't know. Rule. Well, the word yeah. you, you're given the power and the rule is when you use it. Yes. Okay, okay. He has it all. He has it all, right? Um, but, you know, just, uh, just a note here again, and I think, I think, again, it's helpful just to remind ourselves that uh, the ascension of Jesus does not mean that he is less present for us, right? He's, he's at the right hand, he's at the seat of power, and he's interceding for us, Right? We get to pray directly to the one who died and rose and is God himself, right? Uh, he, he is not less accessible to us. He is more accessible because he's ascended, right? And he, he invites us to come to him in prayer. Uh, uh, and so that promise he made in, in the Gospels, right? You know, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you I mean, all the promises of prayer. They're, they're more because he's ascended into heaven. They're right there. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. 
right? Yeah, he's he's defending us, right? Uh, caring for us, right? And you know, I hope right, this. I mean, it's it's kind of a cool thing that the guy who's running all of creation is is somehow paying attention to each one of us, right? And he has that kind of power and and does that on our behalf. It's a it's a pretty profound thing, and it indicates something of you know our value to God, right? Uh, that he would care for us, yeah. So the biblical language is that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I think it also says, you know, that we will experience similar things to what he did, which also speaks right. then to the physicality, to our physicality, ah. that these are the bodies that we will have for eternity as well. And right. And it gives us reason, I think, to take care of ourselves and things like that. Right, right. Yeah, so so Romans six language, right? Uh, if we have been buried with him in a death like his, we be raised with him in a resurrection like his. First uh, Corinthians fifteen, right? Body is buried; it becomes a new body, right? Um, now there's there's got to be some differences, right? I mean, Jesus is bigger than the universe, and you know that's that's him. Um, uh, but, yes, indeed, the, the physicality of Jesus' resurrection is, is a promise that we have as well. And, and the scriptures are pretty clear in describing that. Yeah. Maybe one other note, and this is, this is something I, I remind myself every day when I, when I get my cup of coffee in the morning and open the websites to read the morning news. Um, you know, somebody's actually in control, Right. And uh, uh, day by day, even hour by hour, uh, it looks like very often things are completely out of control. You have no idea what's happening uh, at home, around the world. Uh, yet the promise is that he is bringing all things together for his purposes. Uh, and uh, um, that we don't lose heart or uh, um, get too... Uh, hopeless, really, in our situation, because somehow in a way that we don't understand, uh, God is, it's, Jesus is reigning to bring things to the good of his kingdom, right? And even if uh, the gospel looks like it's not uh, doing so well sometimes, uh, nevertheless, the promise is there that his word will continue, and that we will continue to, to speak that word, People will continue to hear it, uh, come into his kingdom until he comes again. Uh, so, uh, I don't know, maybe you should create a special web browser that has, you know, like the top, all right? Jesus is in control no matter what you see below, right? <laughs> you know, just, that's a good app. i got to sell that, right? Yeah. Jesus is in control no matter what you see on this phone, right? <laughs> just tape it on top, right? That would, Make life a lot easier. Make prayer a lot easier, right? <laughs> so, uh, uh, so uh, I guess I'm out of time. I should stop there. But, uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, just uh, live in that confidence. That's what we have. And uh, we'll, we'll continue to trust that promise. So next week uh, we'll pick up with the disciples, and then we'll get all the, all the fun stuff. Right? How, do you, how do you pick an apostle? We'll find that out next week. All right, thanks. Roll the dice. Roll the dice. Roll the dice.